Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. And this uh, BP Movie Journal is brought to you by whom? It is brought to you by Miniflix, David. Thank you for asking. I was just, oh, I was champing at the bit. Uh, so Miniflix is the premier streaming site for award-winning short films. Miniflix acquires short films that have premiered at Cannes, Sundance, Toronto International Film Festival, and many more, meaning that you can see great short films available nowhere else online. Miniflix also offers several Oscar-nominated and Oscar-winning Short films unavailable on typical free video platforms. So right now, uh, they just said to to let you know that they've gone to the New Orleans Film Festival and they watched. Uh, I don't know if they watched every short film that was there, but they watched a lot of them and so and they reviewed them. And you can find that on the Miniflix blog. That's great. So you can check out those reviews and other articles. Uh, just go to the page for this week's movie journal and click on the Miniflix banner at the bottom. All right, um, let's just talk about some movies then. Sounds good. Um, this happens every October, Tyler. I think it's October. It's time to watch horror movies. Yeah. And then October weirdly always ends up being a super busy month for me. Yeah. Um, and this, I mean, this time it was busy for a good reason. Cause I like, it, you know, I left the country for mm-hmm. uh, a week and a half and that's great. But, um, I didn't really, didn't really get a chance to watch many horror movies this October, but I did watch one new to me went over to our friend uh friend of the show frank feel my wrath mcgrath's mm-hmm. house we have a tradition uh, he and his wife and, and and natalie and i getting together every october to watch a horror movie or two and we watched a movie i'd never seen before wes craven's the people under the stairs oh okay have you I've, ever seen it no it's um it is a it is a wacky movie yeah it's not it kind of it, it has definitely has some scary stuff up top, but uh, it very quickly becomes this sort of like dark comic slapstick satire that's like an R-rated Home Alone, but also like I didn't know it was any of that. Yeah. So and I did. Do you, do you know what the the full premise no. is? Basically, so it's um. It's definitely uh, an um, an allegory in a lot of ways. So basically, there's this uh, the, this couple played by Everett McGill and um, uh, um, uh, anyway, Big Ed and Nadine from Twin oh, Peaks. Okay. The couple on yeah, Twin yeah. Peaks are the couple here, and apparently, because Wes Craven like liked them in Twin Peaks mm. and cast them as a as a couple here, but they're a couple of like weirdos who like never leave the house, but they own a bunch of like apartment complexes in the ghetto. They're essentially slumlords and they, uh, live in this house on the hill that, uh, they never come out of. Is the hill haunted? Um, it's not really a house on the hill. It's in, it's in Pasadena. Um, (laughs) they don't say Pasadena, but (laughs) if you live here, you clearly know Pasadena. Um, uh, and so basically some, some people who are about to be evicted by them. Um, there's a couple of, uh, robbers. One of them is played by Ving Rhames. He recruits this little kid basically because he can like sneak in right, dog right. doors or whatever to say, Hey, you know, you're about to be evicted. You're, you know, your mom is dying of cancer. We can't pay, we can't pour, pay for her treatments. So, uh, you're going to come help me rob the landlord's house. And then they get in there and it turns out the landlords are like, a creepy Texas chainsaw massacre type family who literally have people living under their state. They have, mm-hmm. they have over the years they've kidnapped people. And so they have like feral human beings, oh, wow. uh, in the home, but they're like, they're, I can't even begin to describe how crazy they are. They, um, they refer to, to the, the, I mean, I'm talking about the, um, the, the landlords, uh, they refer to each other only as mommy and daddy. Yeah, <laughs> I don't like that at all. Uh, but it's you might have just turned me funny. off of this movie. Okay, it's clearly supposed to be funny. Okay, because um, when like whenever McGill goes to like when one of them because one of them uh, played by an actor, I think his name is Sean Whalen. 
Uh, oh yeah, I know yeah. him as Froyo from Lost. A lot of people know him as the Aaron Berg guy. Oh yeah, from okay. the Milk commercial. Yeah, Sean Whalen. Yeah, he um, was also in. I believe he was also in uh, that thing you do. He was their first fan. Oh, that's right. So, I haven't seen that in a long time. Big teeth. Um, yeah, and so he plays one of the feral humans who's like sort of gotten loose and is literally like living in the walls. <laughs> this house is cra- is a crazy crazy house. Um, and so whenever Miguel goes hunting this guy around the house, he first changes into full on leather, like gimp gear. So that was, that was the thing. Like what little I have had absorbed. I knew that there was a a gimp situation going on, Um, but I didn't know how that played into things. So, okay, that's uh, strange. It's a, it's a crazy movie. Um, It is occasionally very, very gory. Mm hmm. Um, uh, there's a part where Sean Whalen to distract the other feral humans uses, um, Ving Rhames disemboweled corpse kind of as a puppet. Oh, jeez! <laughs> I'm telling you, this movie is completely insane. I had n- I did not expect, uh, expect this. Uh, it, it was a weird choice for a Halloween movie. Cause uh, like after the first half hour, it is not scary at all right it's a it's a romp um but it is a ton of fun um yeah uh and we were gonna pair it with Candyman because that seemed to fit up thematically but we uh you can't really stream Candyman anywhere it turns out um uh so uh that's the first movie that i watched also how can you possibly follow this crazy ass film yeah um that's the first movie that i watched the second one is a movie you can read my review on the website right now. Um, it, it, it just came out. It's the directorial debut of a playwright named Elizabeth Chomko. It's called What They Had. Oh, yes. Um, and I did not know what to expect as a directorial debut. It's not getting a great deal of publicity, I don't think. But, Tyler, I love this movie. Okay. Um, it's... Uh, this I assume she wrote and directed. Uh, yes, and okay. it is um, autobiographical, um, or you know, semi-autobiographical. Hilary Swank stars as a woman who um, lives in Los Angeles with her husband, played by Josh Lucas, mm-hmm. who is. Um, uh, uh, I've always weirdly been a fan of Josh Lucas, uh, yeah. and I feel like now, especially that he's he's sort of like. Cause I, like for a while he was like kind of like poor man's Matthew McConaughey type of roles. Sure. But now he's like getting into his middle aged years and he's, um, is, is it, he's a different, more assured presence. Um, but so she lives in Los Angeles. She's married to Josh Lucas. She has a daughter played by Tisa Farmiga Farmiga. I don't know how you say her name, but Vera Farmiga's much younger sister, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure you've seen her in something. I or, think I have. Yes. Cause I, I know she's done a lot of TV, but I'm trying to think she must've done a movie that you've seen. Um, uh, anyway, um, and then, but, but, uh, Hillary Swing's character is from Chicago. She gets a phone call from her brother, put on Michael Shannon, that her, um, uh, Alzheimer's inflicted, afflicted, uh, mother played by Blythe Danner mm-hmm. has wandered off in the, on a, in the middle of a snowstorm on New Year's Eve. And, uh, her, uh, uh, Hilary Swink's father, played by Robert Forster, is going crazy looking for. So that cast that I just ran down is uh, really solid. Yeah, there, um, and that's uh, a big part of a big part of the draw. Um, but it's also a movie that is it hits some personal buttons for me in that it is a movie about Chicago at Christmas time, oh. which is <laughs> which is uh, nice, and it's also a movie about Midwestern Catholics. Um, and there were some, there were some very specific things, um, that, that, that really, uh, that, I don't know, not nostalgic, but I was like, oh, I, I very much recognize that. Like they all, you know, before they eat dinner, they say grace, Mm -hmm. but it's not like a thoughtful prayer. They're just like regurgitating. Oh, Blessed yeah. the Lord in these gifts which we are about to receive. Like yeah. they're doing that. And then it's like, okay, we're done. Let me eat. Um, and that was so, that is so familiar to my, to my upbringing. When uh, I, uh, so early on 
when I, when Jen and I were dating, and I think this, this, this might've occurred after we uh, were married, uh, we were visiting her family probably for Christmas and, uh, her family is Catholic mm-hmm. and I am not. And so someone before like the meal, someone asked if I want, I think Jen probably volunteered me to pray. Uh-huh. And part of me was like, why are you doing this to me? Um, and so I prayed, but I prayed like, like I do, uh-huh. you know, and nobody was upset. Nobody was offended or anything like that, but it was very clear that the novelty of not just saying the thing you're supposed to say, yeah. uh, her, her grandparents who were incredible, who were always super supportive. They're like, that was so nice. Uh-huh. It was like, it's just a standard. Oh, I guess it's not standard. I guess you have the standard. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was a very, very interesting experience. It, it's, it, it's, it's so standard that I just know it as grace, which is not what that pre- what <laughs> prayer is, is called. I looked it up to see if there, I, I couldn't find a name for that prayer. Um, but that was what I grew up saying. Mm-hmm. Bless us, the Lord, and these like gifts which we are about to receive. And there's more to it uh, after that that I've already forgotten. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, S- something about rub a dub dub. I don't remember. <laughs> it's in there. Um, but yeah, so you've got this terrifically well acted movie. It's also a very funny movie. Uh, it also, I think, very well observed. Sometimes it's a little, like I said, she's a playwright. Sometimes it's a little play ish, but that didn't really bother me. When you've got actors of this caliber. Uh, and one thing that's really great, uh, uh, about it that's really relatable. I think to anyone who comes from a family, which is a lot of people, uh, is that you see who all the characters are, but also you, you understand that they are different to different members of their family. Like the way mm-hmm. Michael Shannon talks to his dad is not the same sure. way that Michael Shannon talks to his sister, you know, but he's still the same guy, but you can see him adjusting and you yeah. can see, um, uh, the characters is just really, really well fleshed out. Um, again, it is, it is very funny, but, um, it's also a movie about, you know, a family dealing with, a um, a parent with, with Alzheimer's. It's not a movie about Alzheimer's. I don't think like right. you're not really seeing things from Blythe Danner's, uh, Ruth, I think is a character's name from her point of view. It's about the family dealing, right. Uh, with her, which is, which I think allows for the, for a little bit of, uh, a little more gallows humor, uh, yeah. uh about it. Um, and I, I just found it, uh, incredibly moving. Um, and I love when movies are that heavy and emotional and also, mm-hmm very funny. Uh, and um, Michael Shannon, I mean, I've said this before, um, that I keep thinking that Michael Shannon is, is going to get to a point where Michael Shannon is so consistently great that I'm going to stop noticing how great he is, yeah. but it doesn't, hasn't quite happened. It's still, he's still phenomenal. Well, I think it's we're we think of him as a guy who does batshit crazy really well, which yes, he does. But I think, we all see him so much as that, that we right. forget like when he plays just normal people, yeah. uh, we realize, Oh yeah, he, cause he, he, as it turns out, yeah. he's just a normal guy yeah. and can tap into that. And even when he plays normal guys, like in take shelter, he's still a little right. bit batshit crazy. And, so. and here he's a normal guy, but he's kind of seen as cranky or an asshole or a pessimist. Yeah. But you kind of realize it's because Hillary Swank got to her character, got to, leave got to run away to california right he's been there dealing with their parents through like um through all of her his, his, his their mom's sort of progression through the stages mm-hmm. of of dementia and he's he's the one being he's the only one he feels he's the only one being realistic yeah. uh, about it um yeah really really loved what they had uh and was really pleasantly surprised by it um and then we're gonna get into uh i'm gonna do one more and then you'll talk and then, but the next, but then, so this one and the one I do when I come back are going to, are, are my airplane movies. Mm-hmm. I also had a couple of rewatches on the airplane. It's a very long flight yes. to and from, uh, Germany, um, or actually to and from the Netherlands and a very short flight to and from Germany from mm-hmm. the Netherlands. Um, but, uh, uh, I like to watch comedies, uh, when I'm on uh, sure. a, a plane at a, it's, um, 
or or maybe an action movie or something sometimes but that's uh, interesting i certainly would not want to watch watch an action movie just because like you're getting the spectacle even less than if you were to watch it at home uh yeah i guess maybe an action movie that i've seen before but I, sure. you know this movie is actually kind of an action movie so i watched uh, a comedy from earlier this year called game night oh i saw that i heard nothing but great things about um and yeah, I do. Or I do think maybe it might have been a little oversold to me. Um, sure, but I think it's uh, uh, because I I don't think it's as funny as I sure thought it was going to be. It definitely has some very funny stuff. A lot of it coming from Billy Magnuson. Um, yeah, well, him and Jesse Plemons. I think it, okay. he is so wonderful, specifically when he's not talking. He's great when he's talking, <laughs> uh-huh. but that moment where he invites them into his house and then he just fades into the, into the <laughs> darkness, like like uh, Count Orlock. Yeah, uh, but yeah, Billy Magnuson is, of, is really good. Billy Magnuson and um, Sharon. Hogan or Horgan, the uh, the Irish woman who yeah, sort of he's paired off with, are great. They're both great. Billy Magnuson has the the funniest to the point where like in Germany, like drifting off to sleep, I would like because I watched this movie on the plane there. I would think about this line and just start laughing, which is when they have what they think is a priceless Faberge egg, mm-hmm. and then it shatters and like oh no, we shattered this thing, but then they realize it's made of plastic and it has a sticker on it that says made in China. And Billy Magnuson says, well, maybe the sticker's just made in China. <laughs> <laughs> he does, he does sell that character really well because he's, yeah. the guy is not smart, but yeah. he doesn't play him as typically dumb. And that he's, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's a thing that I've, talked about in life is that we're all dumb about some things but then some people just don't have the ability to process information the way others do yeah and but that doesn't make them bad people and it doesn't make them uh, unworthy of respect as a you know as a human being and i feel like he plays the character as tremendously sympathetic and we're not we are laughing at him but also with tremendous affection i think mm-hmm. um uh, but I'll say, the, so the, uh, I didn't laugh out loud uh, uh, as much as I thought I was going to. It's not as funny as I had heard. But what I think uh, is really impressive and the thing that impressed a lot of people is for a studio comedy, how well made it is. Yeah. Um, in terms of uh, shot selection, but also pacing and mm-hmm. editing, um, you know, especially in an age, I mean, at this point, it's I say in an age. It's been over ten years of movie of so many studio comedies just being like clearly they're just letting the actors right. riff too much. And this movie does not. It feels tight. It, it yeah. feels tight in a way that so many studio comedies don't anymore. Um, and I definitely give it a lot of a lot of credit for that. I think I um, I think I wanted it to be darker. Maybe sure. It has some dark stuff. Um, I'm thinking specifically of the part where Jason Bateman uh, accidentally bleeds all over Jesse Plemons' dog <laughs> because he has a bullet <laughs> hole in his arm and uh, the dog is covered in blood. I thought that was yeah. uh, very funny. Um, but uh, yeah, and yeah, a great cast. Uh, I love um, uh, the guy from New Girl. I forget his name. Um, oh, I don't remember. Yeah, the character's name is Winston Bishop, but uh, from yeah. New Girl. But I don't remember his name. Um, and I, I guess, yeah, the movie's been out long. I don't even know if this is a spoiler. I did not know that Michael C. Hall uh, mm-hmm. was going to show up. Uh, he was terrific. I didn't know that Danny Houston was going to show up for uh, half a second. I would have liked to see more from him. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. I liked it. Um, I liked it quite a bit. I think um, Lamorne Morris. Lamorne Morris. Yeah. All right, so uh, those are the three uh, movies that I watched so far. What's, okay. uh, what's what did you watch? So yeah, I also had a, had some rewatches, but I'm not going to talk about them because I've talked about them before. Um, but I did go see Drew Goddard's Bad Times at the El Royale. Oh, which I honestly, to my surprise, loved. Now, what day did you see this? I saw it. Uh, a week ago today. Oh, okay. So you uh, you just got back here in time to start the recording. Right, yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, I was a little bit late. I haven't had time to eat or anything yeah. like that. Um, yeah, I haven't seen it yet. It's just... Uh, it is 
long, um, <laughs> but it in a way that doesn't necessarily bother me. It's it's Drew Goddard uh, who he wrote and directed, and he's he's quickly becoming a, a filmmaker that I respond to a lot. Um, partially because the film looks great, uh, really wonderful color palette, and he's really just willing to take his time. Uh, obviously with getting to know the characters and really getting to understand the situation and letting things unfold. Um, it's been compared to other chamber pieces like the hateful eight. And I'd say that's about right. Uh, because nothing is, nothing is what it seems as they say. Um, and so there are just moments of revelation and just, I, I don't mind the length of the film because we're spending time with very good actors playing really interesting characters speaking in a very interesting way. And he does such a good job of just setting up the mood and creating incredible tension. That's the thing is, hmm. based on the trailers and such, they, this film is, is a 90-minute exercise in pure style. It is certainly not that. It's very stylish. Uh, and then when you see Chris Hemsworth dancing around without a shirt, you think like as kind of this hippie type guy, you think, oh, okay, this guy, I'm going to, I'm really looking forward to this performance. Yeah. The performance is fucking terrifying because he's a cult leader oh. and it is a solid performance, oh. but, but they're all solid. And it's worth noting. Um, I saw it with a friend of the show, Jason Eakin, after we recorded with Gordy. Um, thank you, Gordy, for being uh on back on the show. Um, so, uh, there are a couple of not necessarily newcomers, but relative newcomers, uh, in the cast. There is Cynthia Arrivo, right? But she's in everything this fall, right? Is that, is that true? Well, yeah, she's in widows. And I feel like there was one other thing that she has coming out, but she's in uh, Harry. Oh, she plays Harriet Tubman in Harriet. Um, and, but yeah, she's in Widows. She was in Broad City. Um, but yeah, she actually hasn't been in that much. Uh, and then the other person is uh, Lewis Pullman, who I'm going to assume is Bill Pullman's son, based on his <laughs> last name and everything about him. Uh, so, you know, you've, this is a cast with Jeff Bridges and John Hamm and Chris Hemsworth uh, and, and Dakota Johnson. And yet these two... Again, relative newcomers. They've been in stuff before, but unknowns. And they ha they have to both have known, uh, I'm acting opposite Jeff Bridges. He's going to chew the scenery. But they not merely hold their own. And I, don't, I won't say they necessarily steal the show, but I was always excited to see them on screen. Um, you know, Lewis Pullman's character he kind of shows up and you feel like he's just not going to be a very vital character. Uh, but I find myself looking forward to when he's going to be back because I want to find out more about him. Same with her. And that's, and, and that can also kind of be said of, of, of most of the characters that just like, as I said, you enjoy spending time with them. You're eager to see what's going on with them. Uh, and, when we get to the TV show that, uh, that I watched, which also has a Drew Goddard connection. Um, there's a lot more God stuff in this than I thought there was going to be. And in a very sincere probing way. And I was really surprised by how much I liked it. And not just because of the script and the acting, which I kind of assumed, but also again, it's a wonderful art direction, a real sense of place, uh, great use of music and just a really beautiful film to look at. Like it's two hours and 20 minutes. And I guess there are moments where it drags, but I was just so enthralled hmm. the whole time. I re it's one of my favorite movies of the year. Wow. Um, yeah, I'm, you know, I was uh, not a fan of cabin in the woods, right? But I, w I cause I would drew Goddard wrote many of many of my favorite Buffy and angel episodes, mm -hmm. usually ones that were kind of highish, concept and kind of funny but then would also have um uh, uh you know emotional uh strong emotional undercurrent mm -hmm. um and that's why i found it's funny you say you see you you find yourself becoming a drew goddard fan because i had the opposite mm -hmm. reaction to cabin in the woods i was like oh i guess he's maybe he's not a director you know because i only knew him as a writer um but then again i a lot of people like cabin in the woods so i'm not yeah. uh 
I do too, but I think it could be argued that it's too clever by half. And it's one that, that it's comedy eventually subverts its horror. Um, and so that can be frustrating. Whereas in this, there are moments of humor, but it just, it still emerges as this really wonderful piece of atmosphere. Uh, and, yeah, I, I think you would like it, and I think the listeners would like it. And I don't know how much longer it's going to be in theaters, so take advantage while you can. All right. Um, yeah, I'm just looking because I recently rewatched Buffy and Angel, and I'm remembering. Yeah, Drew Goddard wrote some great, great episodes, uh, including uh, uh, one of the few good um, season seven episodes. <laughs> a couple of the few good, few good season seven episodes. Conversations with dead people and lies my parents told me. Uh, wow. All right. Yeah. Good stuff. Okay, so Sorry, back I was to, tuned out there. What, what, um, what were you saying? Uh, nothing. Okay. Back to my other airplane movie, another comedy from 2018. Um, and it's funny, you know, you and I used to say, like, when it comes to comedy, as long as it's funny, you forgive a lot of other stuff. I think this movie is actually, in terms of laughs, funnier than Game Night, but just not as good a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know you saw this one, too. It's called Tag. Yeah. Uh, I believe currently my least favorite movie of the year. See, I it's it's I think I have to give it too many points for effort because sure. in many ways tag is like three to five different movies at once and it can never get them together. But I like I'm, I, it, can, it often surprised me that I was like, oh, it's doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not doing it well, but I'm, I'm surprised that it's doing it. And just yeah. to, uh, I've said before, you know, surprising me or, or being a little bit bold or whatever, uh, tends to go a long way for me with movies. Sure. Uh, maybe a little, maybe I'm a little too soft on movies that are audacious, but, um, no, I wouldn't say this is audacious, but I, uh, uh, it, it really did surprise me, but it also falls prey to the exact thing I was talking about. It's way too loose. A lot of the comedy scenes, it's clearly yeah. just, you put five guys in, um, uh, in a room and, uh, five guys and one woman at a time. This, this yeah. is like a clear, uh, even though I think arguably, I think the movie did it does pack past the Bechdel test. You could also argue that it doesn't. It depends on how you define what they're talking about. The game, the game is talking about the men, but it's, uh, it's but Fisher's character is clearly into the game herself. Yeah. So when, if she's talking about it to the reporter lady, is she talking about the men or is she, it's, it's I would say it's quite, <clears throat> I would argue that it does pass, but I could see someone arguing that it doesn't, but that's not the point. The point is that you've got, uh, Isla Fisher, Annabelle Wallace, uh, Rashida Jones and Leslie Bibb. And the movie often seems to be going out of its yeah. way to only have one of them in the scene yeah. or only one of them talking in a scene at a time. It seemed, <laughs> it, it, it's, uh, it, it seemed like it was, uh, when it was not paling that fa- passing the Bechdel test, it was doing so, uh, in an almost stereotypical fashion. Well, and it's, uh, yeah and and while i do actually like a lot of those performances is it isla fisher is that how you say oh i say isla but okay that's 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 what i i thought she was very good i liked her a lot uh yeah i think i think leslie bibb was my favorite of of the bunch rashida jones was kind of yeah uh, wasted and annabelle wallace i think is her name she was basically just there to yeah she was at least yeah isla fisher or isla fisher whatever Mm -hmm. and leslie bibb are characters in the movie yes Whereas Annabelle Wallace is uh, something that I've been talking about for as long as we've been doing this podcast, even even before that so often in, in American comedies, there's a woman who's just there to be like, huh? Like to be not even the straight man, just the person to react sensibly to, you know, and that seemed like kind of a, um, kind of a bummer, bummer, even though I think she, she does it well. Um, but, uh, so yeah, there's, and, and, oh yeah, so what I was saying is you've got improv, but you've also got improv being done by guys who are all talented actors, but at different levels mm-hmm. of, like, I think guys like Jeremy Renner and John Hamm can be very funny if funny lines are written for them. Yes. Whereas Hannibal Burris and Jake Johnson and Ed Helms, you can, they're going to bring something. Yes. And I think there are, there are parts where it's clear that, John Hamm, as much as I like him, he's a fellow St. Louis and, uh, 
it's clear that he's just trying to keep up. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Um, and at least Jeremy Renner gets to, like, he sort of represents a different thing. He gets to be an action star or whatever yeah. in the middle of this movie. And some of those sequences are, um, I think, well choreographed. Um, uh, even if the the voiceover pre- the uh, conceit is a, a little half-baked, I think. I think um, it's, it's meant to evoke the Sherlock Holmes movies with Robert Downey Jr. Oh, okay, so yeah. And I don't think you've seen either of them. Right no. Now. Okay. Um, there's a thing where he, he can anticipate yeah. a, what's going to happen in a fight and it just, and it, the camera like zooms in and you can hear his voice over and then everything that he predicts okay. uh, happens. That's interesting because one of the, because I did like the movie contains a number of references. There's a part in the woods outside the country club mm. that is full of predator references. Yes. There's like the log like trap, but there's also a handle Burris goes, I see. You. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and handle Burris is hilarious. Uh, and one thing I saw to compare, but I still it, can't get it. Okay. Sorry. Go on. Uh, what's I can't get a handle on his character. Like he's oh, yeah. funny, but he's just like, uh, I can't, is he, yeah, is he the dumb one or is he hard to know? Uh, because when Annabelle Wallace asks like about, uh, I think she's talking about Jake, Jake Johnson and John Hammond, and Rashida Jones. She's like, mm-hmm. what do you think they're talking about? And Hannibal versus like, are we off the record? I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. Funny, but also yeah. just no, uh, no anchor there with his character. But he, uh, compared to what I was saying with, uh, with Game Night again, I, I seem to be praising this movie compared, compared to Game Night. I do think Game Night is the better movie, but I I also was surprised that Tag seemed to be willing to, even though it doesn't have like people dying in it, seem to be willing to go darker. There's the whole waterboarding sequence, yeah. um, and then there's even I like I like dark, uncomfortable comedy. I couldn't believe how long the running joke about miscarriage is. And it goes, like there are so many jokes about miscarriage that I was like, this is funny, but this is crazy that, yeah. this, uh, that there are so many jokes and they, but to get two great things out of it, which is just, they keep saying the word miscarriage and then Hanover Hanover just goes, it's a miscarriage of justice. <laughs> um, uh, but then there's the whole, one of the very one of the parts with John Hannum is is quite funny where Jake Johnson is is like mad at Leslie Bibb and he's like I'm not saying that I hope you have a miscarriage and John Hamm is like good no don't say that. yeah <laughs> but like, he, uh, yeah uh, so yeah it's funny like because my wife was next to me on the plane watching her own movies or whatever. And when I said, like, I don't think it was as good as Game Night, she was like, that's funny because you were laughing a lot more than you left at Game Night. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, um, I'm glad I watched Tag. It's definitely not my least favorite movie of the of the year. It's right in the middle of the pack. I would there, say. there are still things that I appreciate about it. I think it just speaks to. I think there are movies that are officially worse, but with this cast, I think I had higher expectations but it's so it's just so ramshackle like you said it's like five different movies yeah. and at no point do they really come together no. but there's some like but there's good dramatic stuff, stuff that like there are dramatic scenes that work i think on their own but yeah. don't seem to connect to the movie at all but i love the idea that like Jeremy Renner is that the idea they they play this tag game for their entire adult lives every, every uh, you know um every may or whatever um as a way to stay in touch but jeremy renner being so good at the game yeah. has made him grow apart from the group i was like oh that's interesting and then it doesn't really go that it, far it but it's like an interesting yeah. idea i i really thought that because i was intrigued by that and i just and it makes his character i think on purpose it makes him mysterious and like i want to know it's not merely that i want to pursue him because i want them to get him uh-huh. i want to know more about him and then yeah. when you realize like they don't know much about him either yeah it's it's a setup. It's like there's a really satisfying payoff that could come from this, and they seem to for, they seem to forget that uh-huh. uh, if they ever knew it. But um, but yeah, it's uh, well, I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> I mean, I, I I'll probably never watch it again. I don't, honestly, I I wouldn't not watch it again yeah. because I did laugh quite a bit. And you know what I mean, right? About Jake Johnson and John Hamm, like they can't possibly be the same age. Oh no. Like, uh, yeah. I mean, Hannibal Burris is the youngest. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm trying to think who's the oldest. John Hamm is probably the oldest. I believe he's the oldest. I think he's like 12 years older than Hannibal Burris. I looked up. Yeah. I looked up, um, 
I think because I, I, because Jake Johnson, John Hammer, like Kim, Kim, uh, competing for like the same woman. Yeah. I think of them specifically. I'm like, I can't picture you in the same yeah. school. I can't picture you in the same town, <laughs> much less the, t- the same school. Yeah. And uh, my friends and I, we actually looked it up uh, at one point and there's actually like a seven year difference okay. between them. Uh, it's like, that's, f- it's not about years. It's about the way they come across. And Jake Johnson seems younger than he is. Yeah, but I think, that's I think John Hamm seems too. true. Yes. Um, and I did like that, that they're like, they were all friends and now they're adults who are all very different yeah. characters. And you're right. Hannibal Burris is the least fleshed out. Yeah. Character, uh, unfortunately, but, but maybe um, one of the, maybe the most consistent as far as, or the most reliable as far as laughs. Yeah, definitely. But anyway, okay. You've uh, got one more movie, one more movie, which I hated, unfortunately. Okay. Um, it's a, uh, and this one, uh, this one blows, uh, bad times, the Ray all out of the water in terms of being bloated. Okay. Uh, this movie is three hours and eight minutes long. Ish. Um, it's called, uh, or it's English title is never look away. Um, it is a German movie. I didn't see it in Germany. Mm-hmm. I saw it the day I got day after I got back from Germany. It was kind of a weird coincidence. Um, uh, and it's a fictionalized version of. So I thought I thought that it was a biopic of the painter Gerhard Richter, and I like. I don't know much about art, like mm-hmm. art, art, like gallery art, <laughs> wall art, sculpture. Like I don't know about that stuff. Uh, I know about cinema, which is art. I know a little bit about music, a little bit about books and comic books, I guess, but I don't know about art. Right. But I know what I like. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And like, I like, uh, I like Mark Rothko and I like Gerhard Richter, both Germans. I don't know. Um, And so I was excited to see a movie about Gerhard Richter, but it's not, it's a, it's a fictional bio or a fictional movie that is very, in some ways very loosely, in some ways very specifically based on the life of Gerhard Richter, which Mm -hmm. is really weird. Um, I couldn't quite (laughs) wrap my head around like, uh, you know, like why couldn't they either just make a Gerhard Richter biopic or fictionalize this a little bit more? So it's not so weird because what happens now, so much of the movie is unfortunately just bullshit, uh, like contrivance and coincidence mm-hmm. and that's highlighted all the more how unlikely all these coincidences are when it's so it's other parts are so close to the real life of this real painter right. and they even recreate like the paintings that this character uh his name is kurt bannert in the movie the paintings that he makes are so specifically similar to Gerhard Richter paintings, like they're recreations of Gerhard Richter paintings. And he even like has, he says a thing at the end about like, uh, you know, I think I'll get away from this and I'll go into this. And like the next stage of, he's foreshadowing the next stage of Gerhard Richter's career too, which is, I don't know. I'm I'm getting hung up on this, uh, mostly because I don't want to talk about, um, the movie, which starts off with, um, one of my, least favorite things movies do, which is either, uh, it movies either make, they make mental illness either cute or they kind of romanticize it. This one does the latter. Yeah. Where it's like, is they're like, Oh man, maybe they see, maybe they understand stuff that we, yeah. Is that he, when he's a, when this character is a boy, he has an aunt who is, um, uh, potentially a paranoid schizophrenic or bipolar. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't really, this is during the, third Reich and they don't really, uh, do, you know, they, they don't discriminate when people are mentally ill, they just ship them off and yeah. eventually euthanize them, which is what happens to her. Um, but yeah, we do get the sense of like, Oh, that's where he learned to love art because she saw the world in this. It's, it's, so I, I, I hated the movie pretty much from the word go, I have to say. Um, but then it, uh, some of the stuff that I did like was uh, in the post World War II uh, sort of the picture of life in East in East Germany, um, and maybe part of the reason I like that is just I is that literally days before I had been to no. a couple of museums. <laughs> um, I went to a museum called the DDR Museum that sort of recreates uh, life in uh, in in East Germany to the extent that they actually have 
a fully furnished flat, like right. in the like one of the state issued flats with all the state issued furniture and toaster oven and everything. Uh, and it sounds like they have a big and, display about dance dance revolution. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, that's good. I'm sorry. Uh, and then I also went to the Stasi Museum, which is the other side of things, the people who kept everyone in, in line. Yeah. Um, uh, and the Stasi Museum is actually in the old Stasi headquarters, which is kind of hmm. just, it's just crazy to be there. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's not the point. Uh, so then after, when he's, when he's grown, he falls in love with this girl and her, I'll, I'll keep it a secretist whether he finds this out, but her father is secretly has gone into hiding, but he was the Nazi doctor who sent this guy's aunt to be euthanized in the, in a camp. Mm -hmm. Like that's the kind of the coincidence that I'm talking about. Was that actually, Uh, no, was any of this true? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, No, I, you know, I don't know everything about the life of Gerhard Richter, but, um, uh, it, it's, and also, so I, I, all that stuff annoyed me because <clears throat> that's movie cliches, but there's an extra level of to have a movie full of movie cliches when so much of the movie is ostensibly about is him wanting to make abstract modern art mm-hmm. and both the Nazis and the communists are against that but he he learns from both uh both rulers that art is supposed to be uh representative of life as it should be under these political systems and that art serves the state and the people and is not personal Mm -hmm. and so to have that be his journey yeah but have the movie itself be so not that to be such such conventional bullshit yeah um i just i i couldn't believe the gall of this movie uh, oh it doesn't stop there like to have a three hour and eight minute movie called <laughs> never look away go fuck yourself yeah. come yeah. on yeah um and it's uh directed by florian henkel von donnerschmark who made the lives of others which i never oh, saw yeah. But also, uh, it's very long. I haven't either. I've got it on my shelf here because yeah. I assume I will like it, and I found it cheap. But uh, yeah, yeah, I still haven't watched it. It's like that. That one's like two hours and forty minutes long. Wow. Um, as I recall, I, the reason I remember that uh, is because when I worked at the ArcLight, I used to, uh, and I was a, a greeter, which is what they call uh, the people who introduce the movie mm-hmm. to the ArcLight. And you say, "Thank you for coming to this screening of the lives of others." The movie runs, and then you say. How long? So I remember being like, I think two hours and 40 minutes, something like, uh, along those lines. Um, was there anything else I was going to say? No, I just, yeah, I just didn't like it. Just thumbs down. Thumbs down for never look away. All right. Uh, so that's it for movies, yeah. right? Okay. Yep. So I, uh, started watching season three of daredevil and you know, you, so Luke cage was just canceled. So they're not bringing back, that character or they're not bringing back that show. Um, I believe iron fist has been canceled. Uh, daredevil going strong and having seen the first seasons, sorry, having seen the first season of Luke cage and as much of the first season of iron fist as I could, which is about two episodes. And I was like, I, you've lost me. Um, I can see why those wouldn't last past a certain point, but daredevil, there is just something, about the character. There's something about the world that's created. There's something perhaps about his rogues gallery that just allows you to explore more, uh, with each passing season. Um, you know, the first one was all about introducing him, introducing Kingpin. And then you got in season two, you got Electra and the Punisher. Now you've got, uh, bullseye and the whole time you have the character of Daredevil himself, uh, who is trying to be, you know, a good Catholic boy and all that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Uh, but also doing this thing to try to make the world a better place and wondering maybe this isn't actually making the world a better place. And then, and what I like is that the, the various thematic questions that are asked, they, they, 
the character just absorbs them and then moves forward never actually forgetting them. You know, the Punisher in season two asks him a lot of questions and they act, there's an episode, Hmm. almost entire episode. And that's not true. It's like half an episode where they just have a debate on a rooftop essentially about the best way to make the world a better place. And, um, and you can just tell that, and I think it, it, it's Charlie Cox as well as daredevil. Um, who's just taking all this with him and trying to absorb uh, trying to absorb the right way to do things and then implement it. And as time goes on, he becomes much less sure of the positive impact that he's making, especially now that he's... It's a very Batman attitude, the, the idea that, what about escalation? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's this idea that... Uh, now people are specific. Now there are criminals that are specifically angry at me and they, and they know the best way to get to me is to actually make the, th- make the world worse because they know that that's going to uh, upset me and it's going to mm-hmm. make me question what I'm even doing. And so it's just such a fascinating, complex show and mm-hmm. one that I can understand. I-, I totally understand why that one's continuing and the other ones are not. Uh, just, uh I'm not, this isn't my joke. Someone else made this joke that, uh, Netflix has gotten rid of half of its Marvel shows, so I guess the events of Infinity War did have an effect on... Hey, that's fun. <laughs> yeah. That's fun. Um, Which I have a... Sorry. I'll let you get back to Daredevil. Okay. But uh, I can't remember if this was announced the last... Because it's been two weeks since we recorded. But they announced the title of Avengers... Uh, of Infinity War Part 2, that it's Avengers Annihilation. Oh, okay, yeah. There, like, there was just a movie called Annihilation. Right. That's kind of fucked up. Eh. It seems disrespectful to me. It does, but like it—it's it, a—and it, it wasn't like a small. It was a major studio right. release, a genre movie. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It seems kind of fucked up to me. I think it's. I hate to say it, but Annihilation is something of a generic title anyway. Right. Um, and so I think so, there was an, a Resident Evil Annihilation, maybe? There was a Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Oh, that's something. Resident Evil had Apocalypse and Afterlife. But you're, you're already saying more than I'm aware of. I can't confirm any of what you're saying in regards to Resident Evil. No, because it was... Uh, apocalypse sounds right. I think there was a Resident Evil Apocalypse. Yeah, it was... Um, uh, hold on. Apocalypse, Extinction, Afterlife. Those okay. were the three. For the, the that's two, three, and four because they tell a little story. There. But there's a fifth one. Uh, uh, yeah, no, there's a sixth one as well. There's, okay, so what are the what are those called? They don't. They didn't continue with the thing. It's then, so is it just five and six? Uh, no, it's um, hold on, I have it right here. Okay. Um, what's the one I'm missing? Okay, starting with the first one, which is just Resident Evil. Yeah. The they, second one is. Uh, Apocalypse. Okay. And, and then, then the, now we've reached the end of Resident Evil movies that I've seen. Okay. But then after that was extinction, mm-hmm. then afterlife, then retribution, and then the final chapter, which so far has proved to be true, but it's only been two years. Yeah. <laughs> and the movies keep, they keep making money as much yeah. money as they need to make. Apparently. Um, yeah. I remember I was at a comic con panel for retribution, the fifth one. Okay. And just realizing that the movie, the the, the franchise had uh, it had fans, and it has its own mythology. That they were like, at the they, they were like say things at the panel like so and so might be in this one, and, and the, the fans are like, whoa, like, like uh, this. I had no idea, but I guess everything has its own. Everyone's got their thing, and and again, it's not. At Comic-Con especially, it's not our place to judge. Oh, I wasn't judging. But, I actually thought it was a No, I am talking to myself at oh, this okay. point. Um, but yeah, so uh, so back to Daredevil. And on top of everything else, oh, I believe... Uh, okay, what? So there are two... Uh, the, <laughs> there are two film franchises in which Michelle Rodriguez plays characters who have been killed off and then returned to the franchise. Resident Evil... And the Fast and the Furious. She came back to Fast and the Furious? Yeah. And she was killed? Pretty sure. <laughs> I don't know. I've, I've only seen... I've seen more Resident Evil movies. I've seen twice as many Resident Evil movies as I've seen Fast and the Furious movies. It's so but interesting. that's my understanding. It's odd that you bring that up because um, literally a moment ago, 
as you as people as you're talking about the story of like all these fans like cheering for the <laughs> return of so and so um in my mind i was picturing kathy bates in misery saying like t- telling that story about her as a kid it's like are you people insane? Do you have amnesia? They just cheated us. And I was just like, I'm that doesn't totally apply. But now you're talking about people that were dead and they're ba- and they're alive again. And it's yeah. like, no, she didn't get out of the cockadoody car. Um, <laughs> um, that's probably with Fast and the Furious. It probably is a cockadoody car. That's true. Um, but uh, Resident Evil, obviously, you know, it has reanimation. Yeah, yeah. As part of the whole premise of the world, so. Yeah. I guess one, it kind of makes sense. One of my favorite things that uh, the guys at Red Letter Media did is I believe when the fifth uh, Resident Evil was coming out. Retribution. They ha- Retribution. I think they hadn't seen any of them, so they decided to watch the first four all in a row, the way uh-huh. we do with our commentaries. Yeah. And you see them at the beginning and then at the end they're just laughing and can't stop laughing because they they've also been drinking but uh but the 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 series is just so ridiculous and the action sequences are just so over the top and dumb just straight up dumb that uh that they just lose their minds completely and it's really fun to watch the it degeneration like it could be a fun series to watch though i don't know i i, I remember kind of liking watch, the first one you like it definitely more than i do and then thinking the second one was i think what's what's so it sounds like they kept the second one going because yeah, yeah. it went from oh that's that's not bad like there's yeah. some you know uh uh cool looking production design and some set pieces that are are innovative and then it went to apocalypse which is just insane okay and it sounds like they just kept that up. And apparently the, uh, there's one where it ends with, uh, Mia Jovovich, right. Is mm-hmm. the, is the lead. Uh, she like clones herself. Oh, cool. And the film ends with she and her clones, like just destroying everything. And then the next film ends with basic, uh, the, the villains just blow up all, all of everyone except her conveniently <laughs> enough. And like, well, at least they dealt with it at least they like <laughs> clearly the studio or the filmmakers didn't want to like we don't want we don't want eight of these yeah mia jovovich is running around does that mean we have to pay for all of them but anyway so uh, what if they paired up with all the the michael keaton's from multiplicity oh man that would be A well hot, for the ages is yeah. the way i was gonna say um anyway daredevil oh right yeah it's very good and and I believe uh, editor at large, editor at large, yeah, Scott and I uh, wrote uh, an article a while back about the first season about the the, the visual beauty of Daredevil, uh, and he's absolutely right. It is just a really good looking show all around. And so uh, I'm not done with the season. Um, I'm only a, a few episodes in, but I'm still really enjoying it. I hear the season ends on a on a kind of a shitty note, uh, not as far as plot development, I just as far as the show itself that it just ends with kind of a whimper, which is a bummer. But uh, but yeah, I'm enjoying it as of now. 